0: We obviously want to build a, a very big company, right? We, we, we want to be the location layer for, for any product or, or any service. I think in the early days, we needed to make some compromises and say, hey, what is that initial set of use cases or initial set of verticals that, that we want to go after? We were just two people, small startup. Uber had spent you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of man hours building you know, location tracking and, and, and geofencing. Whereas on the more consumer side of things, you know, so shopping and retail apps, food and dining apps, travel apps, there was a need for uh, location awareness, there was a need for location-based features, but it wasn't as much of a a core competency. My name is Nick Patrick. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Radar.
1: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back? I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today, how Nick Patrick set out to create the Stripe for location services built just for developers. All this and more on Code Story. Nick Patrick has had his hands in tech for most of his life. He's been dabbling in computer programming and hardware from an early age. During college, he veered away from a focus in biology towards computer science and his love for building things. He and his wife enjoy cooking, where his wife does the mise en place and Nick executes the cooking, primarily baking pizzas and cornbread. He calls this a great analog activity with a big payoff. Four years ago, Nick was working at Handy, which is an on-demand services platform. There, he and his colleagues were tasked to build a map system with real-time transparent location info about a service technician. He realized that this was a difficult problem to solve and quickly found there were no third-party solutions out there, i.e. he couldn't find the stripe or mix panel for location infrastructure. So, he and his co-founder set out to build Radar, to provide tools to quickly develop location-based features right into your technology.
0: Radar is location data infrastructure. We offer tools to help technical teams build location-based app experiences. So SDKs and APIs for things like geofencing or location search or, or geocoding or routing, and really got started about four years ago. I had had the experience of working at a company called Handy, which was an on-demand services platform. And we wanted to build an, an Uber-style system to you know, track our service providers on a map, right? Uber has this amazing location-based experience where you can type in the name of a destination, you can see your driver coming to you, you can, you can see an ETA. We basically set out to build a system like that at, at Handy. And I think learned firsthand how challenging that was. It seems sort of deceptively simple to start. iOS and Android have a lot of built-in location services. We found that it was kind of a pain to do and it, it was hard to do it well. You know, so we put an iOS engineer, an Android engineer, a web engineer on this project, spent a couple months and, you know, ended up with something that didn't work super well, wasn't super reliable, you know, and ended up draining the battery and, and, and took a lot of iteration. And kind of reflecting on it after the fact you know when we wanted to do payments we just popped in stripe when we wanted to do analytics we just popped in Mixpanel. but there was no great developer-friendly full-stack solution for for locations that was the initial problem that inspired radar started the company with my co-founder kobe berman who i met pre-handy at uh, at foursquare and foursquare is obviously one of the first big location-based apps that was sort of our first taste of all the cool experiences that you could build with location that informs um, you know, how, how we built the company and the problem that we're solving as well.
1: Tell me about the, the MVP. Tell me about how long it took to build, what sort of tools you used in the early days to bring to life that, that MVP, that first product.
0: Yeah. The MVP for us was really a couple different pieces. One was an iOS and Android SDK that, you know, you as a developer could, could pop into your app to, to do location tracking in a, in a very battery efficient, reliable way uh the second part was a dashboard where you could visualize this data that that you were collecting and and do things like configure geofences what are the types of of regions that you want to monitor depending on your use case and then some very basic integrations to you know send geofence entry and exit events to other systems Maybe you're building a system where you want to send a push notification with a reminder when somebody enters a geofence. Maybe it's something more operational like, you know, delivery tracking and you want to send a notification when, uh, when the delivery is almost there. So really three pieces, the SDK, the dashboard and integrations. V1 was basically, hey, what, you know, what can we pull together as a, as a simple version? Over time, the the product has evolved a bunch, but it it still does have that core of SDK, the dashboard and, and the integration. So, so V1 for us was, hey, what is the most basic, MVP of each of those things that we can pull together.
1: Being the SDKs, I'm sure they're, they were native, depending on timing,
0: Objective-C or Swift or Java, Kotlin. The iOS SDK is written in Objective-C, which kind of lets it run against any apps built in Objective-C or, or any version of Swift. The first Android SDK was, was in Java, although we just moved it over to, to Kotlin. You know, in the early days, it was it was very simple. Um, we kind of had this, you know, one-size-fits-all implementation approach where we, you know, tried to find, you know, location tracking that was was a balance of, of accuracy and, and battery efficiency and, and frequency of updates that would kind of work for any use case, you know, any consumer use case or, or any more operational use case. And in the early days, it was it was a lot of trial and error, right? It was it was me sort of building prototypes and sample apps, sending them out to to family and friends and just sort of like walking around and making sure it works reliably Um, over time. It's gotten a lot more sophisticated, but it was a lot of trial and error.
1: So you're touching on this a little bit. But let's go a little bit deeper into you know, what sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in the, the early days? Um, you know, you're building an MVP. You can't build everything you want to build as a product person or an engineer out of the gate. You have to build just enough to prove your concept or just enough to get the market going. How did you make those decisions and, and what, what were they and how did you cope with them?
0: We obviously wanna build a a very big company, right? We we, we wanna be the location layer for for any product or or any service. I think in the early days, we needed to make some compromises and say, hey, what is that initial set of use cases or initial set of verticals that that we wanna go after? We were just two people, small startup. Uber had spent, you know, hundreds and hundreds of of man hours building, you know, location tracking and and, and geofencing. Whereas on the more consumer side of things, you know, so shopping and retail apps, food and dining apps, travel apps, there was a need for uh, location awareness. There was a need for location-based features, but it wasn't as much of a a core competency. And so there was more demand there with, with our very simple V1. So we kind of made the choice to you know focus on more consumer use cases to start. And you know, location really is all about trade-offs, right? Um, if you're thinking about trade-offs between accuracy and frequency and battery efficiency, you, you might choose a different location services implementation, you know, depending on your use case. We tried to pick a set of trade-offs that worked really well for consumer use cases, but wouldn't box us out of more on-demand or, or operational use cases. So we kind of settled on a, you know, what we thought was a, was a smart V1. Um, and I think our our journey over the past four years has sort of been, how do we make the product more sophisticated, you know, make the product more flexible while while still keeping it simple, right? While still giving you easy presets and and, and smart defaults that work with most use cases. So kind of picking an initial niche, you know, designing an MVP accordingly, and then, you know, very sort of deliberately and carefully expanding uh, the product surface and, and making it more flexible over time.
1: I think that's a perfect segue into my next question. How did you progress the product past that point? How have you matured it um, past the MVP stage?
0: I think it's evolved in a couple different ways. I think the you know the first way that it's evolved is we obviously supported custom geofences. So, you know, for those unfamiliar with geofences, you can basically draw a virtual perimeter around a place or a region or, or a neighborhood. Might be a circle, might be a polygon, and you can listen for devices entering or exiting those regions. And so we, we started off supporting custom geofences. We also had customers asking us, hey, like, can, can you just tell us whenever somebody visits an airport? Can you tell us whenever somebody visits a McDonald's? You know, We don't necessarily know where all of the airports or all of the McDonald's are. Can you help us? And, and so we started adding additional, what we call context types, but they're really just out-of-the-box geofences. So a place database that made it easy for folks to, if they didn't want to create custom geofences, just monitor specific chains or categories depending on a use case. if I'm building a travel app, you know, I might wanna know if somebody is at a particular airport or at a hotel. If I'm building a shopping app, I might wanna know if somebody is at, you know, a Walmart or a Target. And so just offering that out of the box for folks. We also had customers ask us, to help them understand when somebody's in a particular country or state or city. So we added a context type called regions with some of those admin boundaries out of the box. So I, I think, you know, one of the ways the product has evolved is basically just giving you additional things out of the box, whether that's, you know, boundaries or, or place data that you can tap into. Um I think the second way that things have evolved is there's been an increasing focus on location data privacy over the last couple of years. You know there are obviously amazing location-based app experiences that that you can build that that drive real value for end users. But there's, there's a right way to do it and, and there's a wrong way to do it. And so thinking about tools that we can offer to help our customers build location-based experiences, but build it in the right way. You know, how, how do you request uh, location permissions in a in a responsible, ethical way? How can uh, how can you minimize the amount of data collected? Maybe you're just geofencing um, or, or, or just doing tracking when it's absolutely needed for your use case. Maybe you're pseudonymizing or anonymizing the data or you have... Uh, really tight data retention policies. So, you know, both from a product capabilities perspective and a business model perspective, you know, saw that there was an opportunity to help people build these great location-based experiences, but also do it in a very privacy-conscious way. If if you're going to take away two things about Radar, one is we want to be the most developer-friendly location data infrastructure, so, you know, powerful and and flexible. And the second is is that we want to be the most privacy conscious uh, location data infrastructure. And, and that's a function of our product offering, but also our, our business model and, and our approach to the space.
1: You know, moving into the next question, how did you build your roadmap? How did you decide out of all those things that you progressed the product, how did you decide what was most important to do next?
0: We try to be very customer driven in our, in our product roadmap. You know, I, I would say that the, the most common, most important input into our product roadmap is just sort of understanding, okay, where is the product today what, what are the gaps the things that maybe we don't offer out of the box or, or, or don't totally nail for folks that we can close right and, and we try to triangulate and say hey we heard you know three customers five different prospects ask for this in the last quarter what is a great product driven solution to this that we can build this next quarter and you know that input comes from customers directly it comes from our sales team you know, having conversations with prospects it comes from our customer success team having conversations with our our existing customers. And we basically try to combine all of that and say, what can we build to basically expand the value that we offer for for our customers and also bring us one step closer to our kind of big picture product vision. In Q1 of of 2020, just sort of expanded outside of geofencing and launched a bunch of new building blocks, APIs for things like geocoding and place search and distance or, or ETA calculation. And a lot of that came out of things that our customers were asking for. And a lot of that also came out of you know, our vision to be this location layer for every product and service. You know These are our gaps in our capabilities right now and, and are a very logical extension of our, our current offering to get us, get us one step closer. So long story short, you know, try to, to, to very deliberately expand the capabilities of our platform to enable us to be that universal location layer. And a lot of that involves just sort of triangulating what our customers and, and, and prospects are asking for and, and just sort of moving things forward every quarter.
1: So how did you build your team? How did you go about building your team, and what did you look for in these people to know that they were the winning horses to join the radar team?
0: In the very early days, it was, it was me and my co-founder, Kobe, and, and I was the technical co-founder. So I was basically playing CTO, head of products, lead designer, all-in-one, and, and also sales engineer. Uh, my co-founder, Kobe, um, has, has more of a sales and, and BD background. So he was basically the, the account executive, the head of sales, the head of BD, all, all rolled into one. So we had a, a very clean division of responsibilities and we were able to work together to, to move fast to you know build the product and, and find product market fit. I think o- over time, you know our, our technical needs became more complex. And so we were lucky enough to hire Tim Julien as our CTO. Tim actually worked with me and Kobe at Foursquare, has, has been in and around the location space for a while. And, uh, you know, basically helped us level up and and really scale the product. I think when we think about the types of folks that are successful at Radar, I mentioned being very customer oriented, very product driven. I think entrepreneurial folks who care about the big picture, who understand how all the pieces fit together and, and how the business works. If you're on the sales side of the house, ideally, you're very product driven and technical you know, you can, can understand how, how the platform solves problems for and, and adds value for our customers. You can connect the dots on customer feedback and, you know, feed that back into the product roadmap. And on the other side, you know, our, our engineering team, obviously building amazing features and um, scaling our product offering. But, you know, our, our most successful engineers are our engineers who also care about what's happening on the customer side of the house, right? How much revenue are we shooting to, to gain this quarter? Which customers are in the pipeline or piloting? And, and, and what do we need to build to make them them successful. So I think in general, entrepreneurial folks who are very product oriented and kind of care about the, the big picture are, are most successful at Radar. And we're about 35 people now. Um, the team basically tripled in size last year and uh, just very lucky to have some, some tremendously talented folks across all different departments.
1: Let's talk about scalability a little bit. Kind of bouncing back to the MVP, did you build this initially to scale efficiently or was that something you were fighting as you grew or knew you were going to have to fight at a certain point?
0: It's a great question. We we didn't want to over optimize early, right? So I, I think you know having a an API, having a platform that can stand up to you know millions or billions of API requests doesn't really matter if if nobody's using it, right? So I think in the early days we were biased towards just how do we get any any traction and throughput at all? You know thinking less about scalability and, and thinking more about what does the product need to look and feel like to get that get that initial traction, and then kind of gradually shifting over time to to scalability you know so we're, we're now processing you know billions of locations per year from from tens of millions of of devices Q2 2020 in particular we're almost exclusively focused on scalability developer experience product quality we are going to ship some some new things as well but this quarter in particular almost exclusively focused on on scalability But, you know, in the early days, scalability doesn't matter if if nobody's using your product, right? So I I think it's just sort of a balance and kind of figuring out, given your level of traction, given where you are, just where on the spectrum do you need to fall to have the best business outcome?
1: So as you step out on the balcony and look across all you've built with Radar, what are you most proud of?
0: I I think proud of a lot, you know, proud of the team that we've built, some of the use cases that we're unlocking for, for our customers I still feel like we're just getting started and, and I kind of feel this sense of restlessness where you know, I, I look at a lot of the apps that I use every day do have some location component, but it might be very shallow. And there are a lot of apps that I use that should be location aware that that aren't. I tend to focus more on the future and say, how do we make every app on every device location aware? How, how do we help unlock the, the next generation of, of app experiences? Not rest on our laurels too much, and, and really just think about what what can we unlock next, and, and, and how do we make radar truly synonymous with with location. What's interesting is you know the landscape seems to evolve every every quarter or two. You know, right now with uh, the the COVID nineteen pandemic, you know, there's been an interesting shift in in use cases. Right, the retailers and QSRs that we're working with are are focused less on. You know, building in-store experiences and, and focused more on curbside pickup and delivery and contactless payment experiences. Radar can help solve solve those use cases as well. So it seems like every quarter, every year, we kind of find a, a new set of, of use cases. The macro situation evolves, and, and you know, feels like there's always more to do. So I think we, we think about how we can continue to expand our product offering to. You know, unlock new types of experiences and really just sort of look to the future and kind of try to keep the keep the ball moving forward. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. You know, one thing that's been interesting is when, when we started Radar, we thought of Radar as a developer tool, right? We envisioned that it was going to be developers signing up for Radar, enterprise sales cycles we'd be selling to the CTO as sort of the, the buying persona. I think what we realized when we got out in market was we were often selling to, you know, a head of product or a head of marketing that wanted to, you know, build a location-based product experience. They wanted to run a location-based campaign. You know, while, while developers were always important stakeholders, we kind of got away from our roots a little bit and focused on developer experience but maybe not as much as as we should have i think we've learned over time that um, where we're adding the most value for for customers and and where we're the most successful is when we are focused on the technical persona and so a lot of our focus this year is going to be on sort of getting back to our roots that we maybe strayed from a little bit and, and really focus focusing on value props product surfaces use cases for for technical teams so we'll be launching over the next couple of quarters, a bunch of new developer tools, kind of rethinking developer experience on our platform, thinking about ways that we can help folks self-serve on the platform. So, you know, not a mistake per se, but uh, something that we learned just kind of through trial and error being in market. And I, I think finding that our initial intuition of being focused on adding value for developers, adding value for technical teams is our ultimate North Star. And I, I think we're firmly back on that track now.
1: Tell me a little more specifically, what's the future look like for the product and for your team?
0: We think about what other types of building blocks can we can we add in the future, right? So we went from geofencing and, and kind of background tracking focused use cases to, you know, offering new context types. So out of the box use cases, thinking more about app experiences that change based on your current location. You know, maybe you're sort of showing or, or unlocking content based on the user's location. And now sort of thinking about additional building blocks, new APIs for search, you know, so things like address autocomplete or or store locators, Um, you know, things like geocoding, if you want to drop a pin on a map and and show the address that it corresponds to things like routing and and distance calculation. How do I understand, you know, am I five minutes away, 10 minutes away walking or or, or driving from this point of interest or or store or, or whatever? So I think in the future we're, we're we're thinking about like what additional building blocks can we can we introduce next? Really all in service of helping technical teams build you know new types of of location-based experiences. So I think like one theme for the future is, is, is new building blocks. I think another theme for the future is new integrations, right? So we want radar to be the best point solution for location, but you can activate your location data in in a bunch of different systems. You might want to send this to a push notification platform so you can trigger, you know, offers or reminders or alerts for folks. Maybe you want to tie this up with a feature flagging or A B testing platform where where you can more easily, you know, change the app experience or, or show content based on location. As we start to think about, you know, curbside pickup and delivery type use cases, maybe there are you know, order management systems that we can, can plug into. So I think another possible direction is just sort of expanding our, our set of integrations and, and the types of partners that we we work with. And then I think you know, another possible direction is what can we help folks do from a, a data minimization and a, and a privacy perspective, right? How can we help you build location-based app experiences, but, but do it in the most privacy conscious way? And this may be, you know, sort of new strategies for on-device processing, you know, where location data never leaves the phone. It might be, you know, new ways to sort of control data minimization or, or data retention policies, you know, kind of think through, you know, new ways to anonymize or pseudonymize the, the data that you're collecting. So just, you know, help people build um, amazing experiences and, and kind of route their data to, to wherever it needs to go, but also do it in a very privacy conscious way. So that that roughly is what I think the, the future looks like for for the product. I think in terms of the team, what's been fun is we've gone from having, you know, no dedicated folks in a particular function to, you know, functions of one. To you know, each function sort of starting to starting to scale. So you know, Ryan, our director of marketing, joined us uh, about a year ago. There was no marketing function to that point, right? Uh, we had written a bunch of blog posts, but that was that was sort of the extent of it. Ryan is building just a, a really incredible you know growth marketing and, and product marketing team at at Radar. And that team will obviously, you know, continue to expand. Um, Our engineering team is now eight people. They're building a a tremendous amount of products for for eight people. But, you know, as as we continue to scale, you know, build even more new products, you know, growing that team as well. And then we're also about to start building out our product team. So we have a really talented product designer. We don't have any product managers yet. That's actually kind of my background. So I'm I'm playing head of products. But uh, over time, we'll build out a, a product management team as well. So, you know, have a very talented team right now, but, uh, you know, continuing to scale functions that we've already started building. And then also the last few net new functions, you know, bringing in leaders to uh, to scale those functions over time.
1: So who who influences the way you work, Nick? Uh, CEO, CTO, architect or any person? Name a person you look up to and why.
0: Honestly, one of the people that influences my working style the most, and I, I think this is a, a sign of a, a very productive founder relationship, is, uh, is my co-founder, Kobe. And I, I think uh, one thing that's been great about working with Kobe is we tend to balance each other out, right? Uh, I tend to be more sort of technical and product focused. Kobe tends to be more sort of sales and, and go-to-market focused. Kobe gets the product side, too, and you know, Kobe's taught me a lot about sales and and BD. You know, our skill sets complement each other well. We often, I think, refocus each other when uh, when one of us gets off track. When I'm low, he's high and vice versa. And and so we sort of tend to balance each other out. That's been a a really great partnership so far. And I think Kobe and I have both learned a lot from each other and, and grown a lot over the last couple of years. I also think that, you know, my wife is a, a doctor. Obviously, she's been sort of quite busy and stressed out during this COVID-19 pandemic. She's an OBGYN, you know, so, so maybe not as as much on the front lines as, as some other um, first responders and um, and healthcare providers. But that helps put everything in context for me, too, right? You know, we're, we're obviously building what I think is a really exciting product and un- unlocking all sorts of awesome product experiences you know, matters of life and death are, are a different story. And and I, and I think sort of seeing the way that she handles herself in stressful situations and, and just kind of like being exposed to everything that she goes through at work on a regular basis kind of helps put, put everything at radar in perspective. So, you know, those are sort of two people that I, I draw inspiration and learnings from a lot. So
1: if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or what would you consider taking a different approach on?
0: And obviously we're we're excited about our enterprise business. I, I think about ways that we can get not just big enterprises using radar, but also tens or hundreds of thousands of, of developers using radar as well. And that's a function of is your offering self-serve? What is the, the product mix that, that you're offering? And I think if we're gonna be really successful in the long term, we need to build a platform that is is synonymous with location in the minds of all developers, you know, in, in much the same way that I think Stripe has done with payments or or Twilio has done with with communications. And so I I think if I could go back to the beginning, hindsight being 2020, I think I I would prioritize some of those investments in developer experience a a little bit earlier. I think we've done a a good job, but I think think we could be doing an even better job and wish we could have gotten an earlier head start there.
1: Last question, Nick. You're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They want to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it to you just sitting right next to them on the plane. What advice would you give that person, having gone down this road a bit?
0: One part of my story that I, I sort of skipped over was between Handy and Radar, I actually worked on, for about half a year, a couple other startup ideas that, that didn't work. These were a bunch of different social app ideas that I had that just really didn't get any traction. What's been great about Radar is is, is two things. One, I think there's a high degree of you know founder market fit, meaning I, I think Kobe and I are uniquely well-suited to to build this product to build this business. I, I think in order to, to be successful, I think in order to raise money from investors, you basically need to be able to convince investors that you are like the best people in the world to build whatever it is you're, you're working on. And so, and so I think the first piece of advice would be make sure there's a high degree of, of, of founder product or, or founder market fit. It's going to let you tell the most effective story. It's going to let you build the most successful business. So I think that's uh, that. That's one piece. I think the second piece is, you know, build something that you would be proud of even if it didn't work out. I don't know how Radar is going to end up. You know, I'd, I'd like to think that we're going to build this iconic location layer for, for every product and service on, on every device. But there's certainly a chance that things don't work out. But what I do know is that regardless of how things end, I'll, I'll be really proud that I spent, you know, four plus years of my life working on this idea. I think it's, I think it's an important product and service. I, I think it's... It's, it's a fascinating problem space and um, you know, I'll have no regrets regardless of the way that it, it turns out. So, you know, make sure you're working on something that you're uniquely well suited to, to solve and make sure you're working on something that you'd, you'd be proud of regardless of, of how it ended. Either way, you're going to learn a lot. But, but I think those two things are really important. and I've learned that firsthand working on Radar and, and, and a handful of other startup ideas as well.
1: That's great advice. Well, Nick, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for being on the show and telling the creation story of Radar.
0: save big money on plant protection supplies now at menards defend your garden with Triasicide insect killer its fast-acting formula protects lawns vegetables and many other plants it kills more than 260 insects by contact above and below ground choose from ready to spray concentrate or granular save big money on Triasicide insect killer at menards and check out our weekly flyer on menards.com for all the great deals happening now
1: save big